With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. I'm your host, John Shipley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gus Loeb, to once again bring you the latest analysis of a Jacksonville Jaguars uh, loss. <laughs> the, the, 11th and, the 11th straight this season, uh, Gus, that uh, extends the franchise record they set the week before for uh, record for, you know, single season consecutive losses. They're two games away from the all-time franchise losing streak, so it can still happen. We Gus, can do it. Yeah, Gus, uh, uh, how you doing? And really, uh, I mean, we can jump right into it. What were your thoughts on Sunday's 27-24 overtime loss to the Vikings? I'm doing well, John. Um, it feels like it's just the same thing every Sunday. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but every Jaguars game just feels the same, where there's just a lot of football games in general decided by a few big plays. And the Jaguars are usually the ones that make those plays, but they just kind of go against the team. It always it always feels like they're kind of losing to themselves. And so it was definitely another encouraging or hopeful performance where the team tried hard and played better than I'm sure most people would expect. Yeah. But it just wasn't really quite enough to get over the hump. And it's been – I was going to say, story. like, if, if you're going to be 1-11, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there is zero moral victories in football. But if you're just looking at, like, the health – of the roster long-term. I mean, those are the kind of losses you want, right? Just because I think even though they lost and even though the Vikings aren't even what I would consider a good team, you know, I mean, they're barely at, uh, I think they might be at 500 after beating the Jaguars. I I think they saw some performances from some key young players that should make them really excited. And, you know, we'll get into all of those, but the Jaguars, they lost 27-24 to the Vikings in overtime last Sunday. Uh, it is, I believe it was the fourth of the last five games that's been decided by four points of fever. And somebody made a good point, Gus. Even though, I, and we'll, we'll, we can get into the whole Minshew versus Glennon debate again, even though it feels like if you have that debate once, <laughs> it's, it's the same every time. Even though I think a lot of people, including myself, question isn't Gardner Minshew, you know, more talented than Mike Glennon than shouldn't he start? Somebody made a good point. They are way more competitive since Gardner Minshew has not been playing than even when he was healthy. I mean, they were they were getting blown out after week two, you know? I mean, for, for weeks, right. it was blowout after blowout. And I'm not sure if it's what the exact correlation is, but, I mean, just offensively and as a team as a whole, they've been more competitive. I mean, I, I thought Glennon was not good on Sunday against the Vikings, but – the fact that they only lost by three in a game that, you know, with that type of quarterback play, I think you probably lose by couple possessions. It, it's just been interesting to me, the kind of dynamic about how the teams actually competed closer, even though I think the quarterbacks become worse. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting argument just because Minshew's style of play is so conservative. So you would think that kind of his safe style would keep the Jaguars in a lot of games, but Honestly, I think the defense has a lot to do with it because they won that stretch where they had like six straight games where they let up 30-plus points. And so Minshew was never really going to score 30-plus points in consecutive yeah. games or anything like that. And so I think that like the defense has stepped up since the bye week, and that's yeah. made it a little bit easier for the offense just to kind of keep it close. Yeah, it's obviously a, lot more, obviously a lot more difficult when you're letting up 39 points in a single game. I'd, I'd agree with that. Here's my thing. Um, we we – You've talked a lot about, you know, Minshew and his conservative style as a quarterback, and I, I do agree with that, you know, just as a passer, you know, maybe not with the way he plays, but I'm starting to think more and more that maybe the reason he's not playing is because of his play style and just because of, you know, how willing he is to leave the pocket and how, you know, little he throws to the middle area of the field because for all of Glennon's issues, I mean, 
kind of by default, you know, he hangs in there in the pocket and he'll make the tough throws over the middle. It's like I said, because he doesn't have any other choice to, because we see what happens <laughs> when he attempts to run, you know, he had like a, I think he ran twice on Sunday and, and he fumbled on one of them and the other picked up three yards. So I, I, I think there's definitely some merit to the idea that maybe the Jaguars just want a guy who will be willing to hang in the pocket. Not that they don't want somebody who's athletic and can make plays off schedule, but not trying to turn every play into an off-schedule play. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, Marone said that, I think, in the offseason, but he keeps saying it, like, over the course of this season as well, just, like, staying in the pocket and, like, actually throwing downfield. And when I wrote about Minshew in that article over the summer, I kind of wrote that all those checkdowns and scrambles were, like, suboptimal. And in a perfect yeah. world, he would be spending more passes throwing downfield. And so that's why I was kind of excited to see Luton and Glennon, because even though we kind of knew that they weren't going to be good, at least they would kind of be more aggressive. but if like you're just gonna throw it right to Minka Fitzpatrick and Harrison Smith, and yeah. it is better to scramble and to check yeah. down, and so it's kind of an interesting paradox. And like, I mean, it's a it's a multiple choice question, and it's A like, Minshew, B Luton, C Glennon, or D none of the above, and it's, and it's like so obviously poison, none of the right? above. It's just yeah. it's like a gimme on the exam. <laughs> yeah, I no, and I, I completely agree. I mean, at this point, it's <laughs> basically moot, you know, because I. I I think it's a foregone conclusion that, you know, I, I can't imagine any scenario at all. And I'm normally never this lenient with the Jaguars. I can't imagine any scenario where they're not picking a quarterback with their first pick. So at the end of the day, it's kind of moot because I don't think any of these three guys uh, in the big picture will be that significant next season. I will say, I thought it was interesting. Uh, ESPN's Michael DiRocco uh, got a really good story where, you know, Minshew voices his frustration at not playing and had told uh, Barone that he was begging to go in uh, and play against Cleveland in week 12. And I I thought that was just interesting to kind of finally see, you know, kind of a a veil come off because I think everybody, you know, it's understandable for Minshew to be frustrated. And I think it'd be a bigger issue if he wasn't frustrated, but I do think it was interesting to finally see that, you know, okay, this guy is, you know, ready to get back on the field and it's Marone and the coaching staff who are like, no, we're going to go in another direction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can definitely tell that the hand situation doesn't really sit right <laughs> with Marone and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, but I think it's also just recency bias because, like you said, like the Jaguars were getting blown out in the yeah. like, last few games that Minshew played. And so that certainly wasn't sitting well with the coaching staff that's kind of on their last legs. Yeah, so, no, for, for sure, for sure. And uh, aside from, you know, the whole quarterback situation, I mean, who, who stood out to you, you know, against the Vikings? Because I thought, you know, other than the turnovers at quarterback and, you know, turnover from Chris Conley, I thought a lot of – the players perform well and I thought a couple guys several guys had their best games of the season uh just off top of my head in terms of best games I think you know Dewan Smoot uh Joe Schobert uh, I'd say you know Ben Barch and Caleb Von Chase on easily uh AJ Can is definitely up there uh Colin Johnson uh, Tyler Eifert. I mean, they, they had a lot of guys who, ju- who just played their best ball of the year. Like, you know, they, they played like I think they were expecting them to all along this season. So uh, I, I was impressed by a number of guys. Uh, I, I wrote about Caleb on chase on. He recorded a, th- a third of his career pressures uh, that PFF has recorded came against the Vikings on Sunday. You know, he has 15 career pressures. Now that's, you know, obviously through 12 games, not ideal, but, I guess what's encouraging is, you know, five of them just came, you know, this last weekend. He actually, you know, he looked more impactful. You know, he you, you could notice him live during the game on Sunday, which is always big for any, you know, uh, front four player. If you can notice them during the game, they're obviously doing something well. But then when you rewatch, he was doing a lot of good things, both against the run and the pass and things that he hadn't been doing before. So, I, you know, obviously that's not to say, okay, Caleb Von Chason is going to, turned out to be a good pick, but I think it was the kind of performance that they were at least really needing to see before the season ended, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Like, we keep saying, oh, we got to give him time. He has tools, but he's raw, and it's not going to happen all one year, but at the same time, it's kind of easy to say that, but, like, hard to watch on the field when you see nothing, and so it's definitely an encouraging performance. And I kind of wonder, like, how much Wash's, like, scheme helped out with that, because Wash blitzed on 19 dropbacks last week and so like it was like a 43 percent blitz rate 
and for yeah. most of the season he's been hovering around like 30 or maybe 25 and so basically he blitzed a lot last game and Kirk Cousins was constantly under pressure and I think it worked and I think that also helped chase on because like when he's just lined up at defensive end like one-on-one with an NFL tackle like he's not going to get home a ton yeah but like being able to use him with the stunts and like overloading one side of the line stuff I was like gonna that, say I think helps him out I think I, I think two of his pressures came against, you know, a guard because, you know, he was right. slanting inside because of a blitz. So that, that's a really good point. But I, I, I think, honestly, the most encouraging thing I saw wasn't, you know, the fact that, you know, he was getting near the quarterback. It was two of his pressures came when, you know, he locked out the offensive lineman and read Kirk Cousins' movement and then was able to break off the block and then shoot to Cousins. That's stuff you weren't seeing uh, – at any, in any other game really this year. You know, once offensive linemen got their hands on him, he was kind of done previously. But this time he was the one kind of, you know, manipulating the situation. So it it, it, it was – I thought it was an encouraging game from him. And, you know, they, they, had, a, they had a couple of rookies who played well. So I, I think all, all in all the Jaguars, they can feel good about their roster after that game. But they're obviously – you know, they're not going to feel good about 1-11. I mean, they're on – they're on track to have the worst season in franchise history, just in terms of wins and losses. But uh, Gus, is there anybody that really stood out to you? Yeah. Well, first of all, that last point about Chase on, I just think that's cool because Josh Allen is so good at that. Like Definitely. Chase on kind of uses hands to kind of push off defenders to go get cousins. But Josh Allen has this cool thing where he kind of goes upfield and then spins back to the quarterback. And so it's like, I don't know. It's really cool to watch. And so no, they definitely. have like, a similar playing style. So if it kind of comes together, it would it would be a really fun duo to watch. It's a then, it's a it's a big shame that Josh Allen has not been healthy for 2020 because I feel like the few games that we have seen him healthy, like the Packers game, I I feel like he was just set to explode this year. And I know I'm getting off sec, but just from what you said, I feel like he would have exploded this year if not for injuries. Right, and he's like one of the multiple players that'll be fun to watch next year. But I think Allen and Chark are like two of the Jaguars just straight up best players. And I think that they're both definitely in store for rebound years next year. So that'll just be one of a few reasons why 2021 will be for sure. hopefully a fun season. For sure. For sure. But then Colin Johnson definitely deserves a shout out too, just because he had like three plays that were all just massive for the offense. And so there was like the should not tipped interception on the first drive. And then other than that, the Jaguars really just did not have an offense other than like, a couple solid runs from Robinson and then three downfield shots to Johnson where he had contested catches. So without those, say, like we would have scored even less points. I even thought that was kind of a pedestrian game from Robinson. Not really anything, you know, to his, to his fault. You know, I, I thought he made a lot of yards that weren't there, but I mean, the, the Jaguars offense just wasn't able to get, you know, anything going here. You know, normally he breaks off more long runs than he did against them. So I'm, I'm with you outside of the, chunk plays their offense I, I think at one point in the second half it was like the start of the fourth quarter they had 20 yards in the second half or something like that and it's just it, it's kind of a repeated pattern with the Jaguars this year and it just kind of shows that while they do have some talent the coaching staff and like I know they have a lot of flaws on this roster and it's a young roster so maybe hard to judge the coaching staff but on the other hand, they just consistently get outplayed and outcoached in the third quarter, you know, out, out of halftime. So you got to put that on the coaching staff's uh, feet at some point. So I'm with you there. But it, was there anybody on defense other than uh, Chase On that stood out for you? Um, I don't know. I definitely agree that Joe Schobert has been getting better with every game. Like at the beginning of the season, he just kind of looked a step slow. And yeah. part of that is because he plays next to Miles Jack, who just kind of plays at a different speed than almost every other linebacker in the league. But Schobert's definitely gotten better with, like, more reps, which kind of makes sense. But I think he said it was his fourth defensive playbook in the last five years. And he obviously didn't have a full off season because of COVID this year. And so I think he's another – like, just add him to the list of players yeah. that we're excited to uh, see rebound next year. That, that When he made that comment, it really caught me because I, I it's something I've been thinking for a while that, you know, as he's getting more comfortable in the scheme, he's looked better. But once he said that, I was like, well – you're about to have to learn your fifth in six years. <laughs> so, I mean. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So here, here, here's the next year. But I, <laughs> I, I, I thought Schobert had a terrific game. And it wasn't just the splash plays. Like, you know, obviously the pick six, pick six was huge. And I thought the pick six, that was the kind of – the last two weeks, I, I would put it like this. He's made the kind of impact plays – that he was making in Cleveland that made him a worthwhile free agent. You know, he wasn't making that for the first 10 or so games of the season, but the, the 
fumble, the forced fumble last week and then the pick six this week, that was just a heads up, good awareness play. Those were plays that, you know, he made in Cleveland, you know, for for all of his uh, struggles in Cleveland at times. He was really good at forcing turnovers, and Jacksonville wasn't really seeing that until these last couple of weeks. So I agree with you. I think as he's gotten more comfortable, and I, I think you make a good point. I mean, him next to Jack, he was looking considerably worse than Jack, and I, I think maybe we should have expected that more, though. I think when, when they signed him to be middle linebacker, maybe people got the idea of, okay, he'll be – you know, instantly on par with Jack because they consider him a better option, a middle linebacker. But Jack Jack was in his fifth year in this game. You know, Schobert is still in, you know, his first couple of months. So it, 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 in hindsight, that's a take that I think maybe I didn't think through enough to maybe not expect as much from Schobert just because of the big change. And, I mean, who, who he was going to be playing next to. But I'm with you. Uh, Gus, I, I missed this when you talked Colin Johnson, but I, I want to throw out a comp for you for Colin Johnson. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, it's from uh, at Jackson Phil. Uh, Phillips, uh, Phillips, awesome. I saw this in the scouting report he retweeted of Colin Johnson from when he did scouting. He said, Kenny Galladay vibes. And ever since I read that, in terms of play style, I'm not yeah. going to say, obviously, he's going to be Kenny Galladay, but just, like, in terms of, like, aesthetic, like a 6'6 dude who can run and who can jump out of the gym, like ever Definitely. since he said it, I'm like, okay, I can I can actually see that. Like he does kind of look like like a cheaper version of Kenny Galladay. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah. what, just, what what are your thoughts on like really uh, that kind of comparison and just him being that type of player? Obviously, I'm not going to say the caliber of Kenny Galladay because I think when healthy, Galladay is a top ten, top twelve receiver. But I think stylistically, I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah, the aesthetic thing, aesthetic thing for sure makes a lot of sense. I was looking at something like. Brandon Marshall, like Kenny Galladay is a better one, but like just like the same kind of breed of like big wide yeah. receiver, just like go up and get it, which isn't really – go ahead. Here's my thing like with him that I was thinking this entire time when they drafted him, okay, he's giant possession receiver. is going to go up there and, you know, win jump balls. Straight line, he has way more speed than I thought he would. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's that's my thing. And that, that's why I say Galladay, because just in terms of a straight line and yards after the catch and getting downfield in his routes, he's a lot faster than I thought he would be. Uh, he's never going to be a guy who can, you know, you're going to ask to run like a, a dig route or make a, you know, or, or sharp cuts and try to get open because, I mean, he's 6'6". So he's came back half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, put three cones on the field and, you know, he'd probably be worthless. But um, I, I, just in terms of, like, his speed, that's been one of the biggest surprises to me this over these last couple of weeks is seeing that he has legitimate downfield speed. Yeah, I was definitely caught off guard by that too. But he had a really nice senior bowl. Like, he was kind of a beast on those one-on-one reps. And so that kind of perked everyone up a little bit. And so I know there was a lot of happy people in Jacksonville when yeah. he was selected. And so yeah. it's nice, nice to see him. And hopefully, I mean, he kind of has a crowded depth chart in front of him, honestly, just because he played a lot of snaps with Chenault going out with his uh, hand injury or whatever it was. Yeah. And so, like, Chenault and Cole and obviously Chark are all in front of them. So, and maybe Conley, because we don't really know, like, how much Conley played because of the hip. So we'll see how much sure. playing time he gets. But I'm definitely excited to watch him for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think if he can continue on that track for the rest of the year, because, you know, this isn't something he's been doing all year. You know what I mean? He had a good game right. against the Texans in week five. But otherwise, I mean, when they were trying to target him earlier in the year, he, he looked like he didn't really know what he was doing at times, you know. So it's definitely a guy that you can see has gotten better. And if he can continue that over the next month, uh, if he can continue that and even if they don't choose to retain Cole, they have an interesting receiver room to build around, you know, if they do retain Cole, then I, I think, obviously, I think you'd want to add another receiver too, either through the draft or a veteran and free agency. But I mean, I, I, I think, you know, Colin Johnson, Keelan Cole, Chanel and DJ truck. I think when healthy, that's a formidable receiver course. For sure. Yeah. They have really nice depth. Honestly, I still think just in my personal opinion, and I think receivers, one of those underrated positions on the field, yeah. And like one of the most valuable. So I would be in the mindset that they should kind of like go after a big receiver, whether in the draft or free agency, just to have like another alpha to pair with Chark. I just think would be super cool. But with that being said, the guys they have now in the room or yeah. the locker room is re- a really good start for sure. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think 
it's hard for a lot of people to judge, obviously, receiver play when they just watch them, you know, on Sundays. Because you're obviously seeing when they get targeted and whatnot, and you're seeing routes on replay and stuff. But a lot of times, you're not seeing the full extend the route and really how open they're getting. After, you know, watching the All-22 of the Vikings game and then, you know, seeing the Browns game, won the All-22 of it, but watching it, you know, that, that's what I like about watching it from the press boxes because you see the plays unfold so much better and you can see how receivers and defensive backs are playing. This receiving core is open all the time. They just cannot get them the ball. And yeah. I, I legitimately believe that I, I, I'm way against saying any unit on a 1-11 and team is underrated. But I generally believe this is one of the more underrated receiving groups in the NFL because just man, when you turn on the film, the, the opportunities are there. They're open. And I think the Chenault touchdown was a great example because DJ Chark had nobody in his zip code. And that ball was supposed to go to him and ended up hitting Chris Boyd in the chest. Chark was wide open. Like, I, I think the nearest Vikings defender was like eight or nine yards away. And the ball just sailed over his head. Ended up being caught for a touchdown, which is, you know, great for the Jaguars. But it just kind of shows the problems that they've had. And that kind of brings me to my next point, uh, Gus. I I think DJ Chark is still, even though his numbers are not good, his uh, catch percentage in terms of targets to catches is not good. I think he's had a good season because I think when you turn on the tape, you see a guy who's getting open that the quarterbacks are just missing. And when, when I think about that, I think of several throws uh, from Sunday against the Vikings because I feel like he could have exploded that game if they got him the ball. And I also think about the Packers game where, you know, that specifically that one play where he beat the safety deep and, you know, he was wide open for a touchdown by 10 yards and then Luton underthrows it and it ends up getting deflected. I just feel like if he had a serviceable quarterback, he would have exploded by now. And I think the consensus, I, you know, I think a lot of people are questioning signing him right now. I think the consensus would have been why, why aren't we signing this guy ASAP? Because I truly think if he had a quarterback, his numbers would be astronomical. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, 100% agree. I think was it last week that you said, was that your hot take is that we should sign DJ Chark to yeah, contract. Yeah. yeah, definitely still on the same boat as that because, like you say, you can see him getting open. And, I mean, not just on all 22 or from the press box. Like, you can see it yeah. just on the broadcast as it's happening live. There was one play he just threw his hands up. I don't know about you, but, like, every single time he mit- he doesn't catch a ball on the sideline, I just get PTSD from – Keep that crap in bounds, bro. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> we, and uh, what was it? Billy Marshall, um, a good follow on Twitter. You know, tweeted out a video of all of Glennon's like misses to him, and you can just see how frustrated he's getting. And I think he had two catches on seven targets. One of the one of the two targets he caught, but didn't drop because Harrison Smith just completely obliterated him in the middle of the field. You know, count that as a drop, sure, but I also I also get it. But then I, I charted the other four targets to him were all plays where he was open and Glennon just missed him. So I, I think it's definitely an example of the quarterback issues on this team is making it harder to evaluate the team as a whole. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get is that when your quarterback isn't playing well, you can't really judge your team fairly at all. You know, I mean, it, it makes me think of 2016 when uh, Allen Robinson had his down year. Well, could we really judge that because he had the worst quarterback in the NFL that year? So how can we really evaluate the offense? But those are just my kind of thoughts on it. I know a lot of people have kind of questioned DJ Chark's production this year, but I, I think that's one of my biggest stances of 2020 is that Chark has had a good season and that the issues are really on uh, the trigger man. Yeah, and you can't forget about the injuries either because he just like clearly sure. wasn't himself at the very beginning of the season with like back and chest. I think at some point he had ankle injuries as well. So he seems pretty healed up at this point, but it's been a long season for him for sure. So For sure, for sure. Uh, Gus, I Doug Marone made a really interesting comment, just uh, moving to the next segue. You know, for ever since Doug Costin, you know, has been healthy after the bye, you know, he missed the Green Bay game due to concussion protocol. But every other game that he's been in, Taven Bryan has barely played. And, you know, I think he played 16 snaps last week. And here's the thing I've learned with Doug Marone since, you know, covering him since last August. He doesn't often or ever really put down, you know, his players. He'll say, 
you know, like say a player gets benched for another option, he'll talk, he'll do more to talk up the other player as why he's the best option as opposed to saying, well, this guy wasn't getting it done, you know, that kind of thing. And I think he doesn't like, he doesn't like uh, putting himself into a corner. Like I, I think a big reason he won't say Glennon's a starter for the rest of the season is because, well, what if Glennon goes out there and has a Jake Luton four interception game? Then, I mean, you know, he's going to look stupid for saying that. So if you do it week by week, then, you know, you're not painting yourself into that corner. But when when he got asked about the interior defensive line, you know, he was really complimentary of Costin, who I think is playing really well, of Daniel um, Ikuale. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and uh, Adam Gotsis. But then, uh, you know, Taven Bryan, he said, yeah, and Taven, uh, he's just, you know, he's not producing, uh, you know, uh, like the others. And to me, that is the most criticism you will see from Doug Marone uh, at all about a player. So, to me, that just kind of said it all about Taven. Gus, I know in your, you know, your defensive EPA articles and everything over the offseason, and I was impressed by Taven last season. You know, all those articles spoke highly of him. How surprised are you that he hasn't turned it on this year? I'm pretty surprised, honestly, because, yeah, the article you mentioned, I kind of looked at playmaking rate, and so it was basically just seeing which Jaguars players kind of, like, make the most plays or have, have the biggest splash plays per snap. And so, like, Calais Campbell and uh, Yannick Ngakwe had the biggest – or had the most plays, but they also played the most snaps. But Taven Bryan actually led the team in, like, plays made per snap or whatever the metric I made up was, which is basically me- – meant he had like a lot of pressures and sacks and tackles and tackles for losses per snap played. And yeah. so just based on that alone, it almost seemed like there was a breakout coming from him considering that Calais and Gakwe left before the season started and the depth was pretty underwhelming on the interior of the defensive line. And so, and then it just hasn't panned out, which is why everyone is understandably upset about it is that like yeah. he's getting outplayed by, players that the Jaguars picked up on the streets after he was a first round pick three years ago. And so it's definitely disappointing to say the least. And yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I, I thought you made a lot of good points, you know, in that article, because, you know, I, I was impressed by Taven's development last year. Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far to say he had a good 2019 season, but he was trending, you know, in the right direction. You saw him start making plays and, I'm not sure if you can if he's made five or so you know plays this season. It just hasn't happened. And I went ahead and found the exact quote uh, from Marone. He said, "Those inside guys are playing well, and we're trying to get Taven and keep coming along." I mean, he's not as productive right now as those other players in there for us. And he's not I, lying. <laughs> no, he he's not. He's really not. But I mean, that is I think the most you will hear Marone kind of critique a player. And I, I I think at this point I wouldn't say Taven Bryan is a big candidate to be on the roster next season. I had somebody tweet, I mean, they're like, so are we going to decline his fifth-year option? And I was like, you didn't really need that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's, that's getting, that's getting declined. Uh, I, I want to say the Jaguars, I'm not positive on this, so I won't say it, but they have, ne- they have never had the fifth-year option like a player play on it. They've picked it up twice, but one, they extended Blake Bortles, so he never actually played on it. And then they traded Jalen Ramsey. I don't know if any other team in this entire fifth-year option has had that. Like, they've only had two players. They've had one player worth picking it up on. They've only picked up two players. Uh, I'm not going to say it was smart to pick up Bortles' option because, yeah. But, um, I mean, you know, they've only picked up two players since that became a thing in, like, 2011. And they've never had a player play on it. And Taven's the next person uh, in line for that. So that's <laughs> it. Just kind of says it all, uh, in my opinion. But I mean, uh, who who do we have uh, after Taven? Josh Allen. Yeah, I was gonna say Josh Allen is the next guy up, and he'll get at least he'll get it. But that'll yeah. be in what yeah. a year or two. Yeah, no. He'll get, so there we go. That's that's when the streak will end. Uh, the next streak we'll look to is when's the next time the Jaguars will get a comp pick. Uh, I think the last time was – I wrote an article on it this last offseason. I think the last time was like 2004, 2005. It, whatever, year, whatever year they picked Scotty McGee. And I, I, I can't believe that. Again, that's another factoid I have stored away in my brain that will never serve me in any facet of my life other than this tiny little podcast snippet. But <laughs> uh, just um, moving past uh, that, Gus, I, I think, you know, like we had said earlier, I think it's beyond a foregone conclusion. The Jaguars are going to be taking a quarterback. Um, I think, uh, you know, just aside from the fact that they need one, 
I think they're going to be looking at it as, okay, this is a kind of a restart of the franchise's direction. We need to restart this with the quarterback. And I also don't think it's a non-factor, you know, the whole uh, Jaguars and Sean Khan, uh, Lot J development, trying to get that going. I don't think bringing in, you know, trying to bring in a franchise quarterback is a complete non-factor, you know, to that kind of thing as well, you know, try to build excitement around the team. So, I think the two most likely options are Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. But I know it is only December 10th and the draft is not for like five months. But I'll say it right now. I want this podcast to be pulled up when I'm wrong. If the Jaguars pick number two overall, I will print – I'll go ahead and print out a list of all of my tweets from today and eat them like Josh Norris did a couple years ago if the Jaguars do not draft Justin Fields. I just – I feel confident that if they're picking number two, Justin Fields is going to be their pick because I just for as Carolina should do that much. Not 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 <laughs> even shook me because I think they're both probably like near equal. But I just think the Jaguars, I don't think they're gonna start a new regime with a quarterback from BYU over this Ohio State star who's kind of, you know, been molded to be, you know, a top three pick who's, you know, uh, in the style of some other super young impressive quarterbacks, you know, the, the fact that he's mobile with a big arm. So I, I would just be surprised if they don't pick fields because it, it just seems to me like he's the obvious pick. Uh, I think there should be more of a – I think there's more of a debate between if Fields or Wilson is a better quarterback than probably a lot of Jaguars fans want to admit. Uh, I, I didn't think Wilson even played that bad against Coastal Carolina. I thought he played fine. Their receivers were awful and their coaching was like, coaching it looked like he was coaching a game from the 1940s you know I mean yeah they were running like halfback dives on like 37 when they had Zach Wilson at quarterback I was like this, this is insanity but that, that's my take so I, I think right now the Jaguars going to draft fields if they have number two pick uh I mean do you have any real stance on the quarterback shit because like I said I think they're, they're probably near equal I just think the Jags are going to prefer fields yeah, no, I definitely think that's a strong take. I think Wilson would have to have, like, a Burrow-type year in order to be considered be taken over Fields or yeah. even, like, Lawrence, which just isn't going to happen because, like, the fact that he kind of has, like, the one year on his resume is a little yeah. bit sketchy compared to Fields having two. Um, and Fields was just such a monster last year, too. It, uh, exactly. And, and and the big thing with Burrow is, yeah, Burrow only had, like, that one-year production, kind of like Wilson has, but – Burrow did it against a murderer's row schedule. You know, he did it, you know, and led one of the most prolific offenses in NCAA history at an SEC school. Wilson's been really impressive, and, I'm all, and, and you know, I'm all for you can be a really good prospect no matter what level you're playing at. But I do think it factors in that, you know, his one season of production has come against uh, kind of a – I don't want to say cupcake schedule, but a much weaker schedule than, you know, any of the other top quarterbacks other than Trey Lance. Yeah. Yeah, Baby Arm had, like, one of the best college seasons of all time. And I don't know. <laughs> Wilson Wilson looks legit. But like you said, it's kind of a different story in terms of scheduling. And you kind of have to have just an absurd year like Burrow. And Wilson's having a great year, but it's not absurd. <laughs> Moving past the Baby Arm comment. <laughs> I, I, I think um, Richard Johnson, RJ writes on Twitter, uh, you know, great, great follow, really good writer. He put it well the other day when, uh, you know, him and I were discussing it on Twitter with some people. It's that everything's kind of been perfect around Wilson this season. So I guess you kind of want to see what it looks like when it's not perfect. And, I mean, Coastal Carolina was as close to being, you know, as non-perfect around him as it's going to get. And he just had, you know, like a a decently okay game. So I I think that's definitely worth asking because while Fields is in an ideal situation in Ohio State, I do think he's had to make uh, more, you know, off-schedule plays and that kind of thing. But uh, I I agree with you. I I think both, like I said, are really talented. But as we move forward, I'll be shocked if it doesn't become like a – I'm trying to think of another year where everybody knew who the first two picks were going to be. Like like uh, with Winston and Mariota, everybody knew Tampa was going to pick Winston and Tennessee was going to pick Mariota. I think everybody's going to know the Jets will pick one, the Jackson will pick Fields. Yeah. And, and, that the intri- and that the intrigue will start at pick three. Yeah. And then same with Luck and Griffin in like 2012 yeah. or whatever that exactly. was. 
exactly. So I, I, I just think as we progress, that's how things are going to look more like. But with that said, when they end up picking Mac Jones at number two overall, I'm going to ensure <laughs> that <laughs> this podcast gets deleted. All right. Uh, with that said, I wanted to get into one more thing before we give our parting shots. Doug, a Tony uh, Paulon with Pro Football Networks. Uh, I, I I was telling you before the show that, you know, the entire time I've been involved with, you know, following football closely, Tony Paulon has been one of the, you know, most consistent, you know, kind of insider types. And he had a really uh, intriguing take on his uh, show yesterday. He on the, I believe they call it the Insiders Podcast. Yeah, on Pro Football Network. And he was essentially laying out that, you know, how one of the most formidable, you know, general manager and head coach uh, pairings going into this offseason, at least one of the most sought after, is John Dorsey and Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you know, Dorsey, formerly of Kansas City and formerly of Cleveland, and Bieniemy is their current OC. Uh, I, I think Bieniemy and Houston's interest is kind of the worst kept secret in the NFL. But he went on to explain how they're kind of a package deal. And he floated the idea that the Jaguars are interested. So, I'm not going to say, you know, that's anything, you know, that's 100% factual, but just Tony Pauline saying it kind of got my gears going to, okay, would that work in Jacksonville? I mean, what what were your thoughts on bringing in Dorsey, who has a good track record as – he reminds me of Caldwell in the sense that he's a great talent evaluator to an extent, a good scout, not a great team builder. But I think if you can pair that with the enemy with Justin Fields – is it worth taking that risk? Um, I don't know. Dorsey is like just such like a slugger for a baseball analogy. Like I don't know. Yeah. This isn't a baseball podcast, so I don't know any baseball players. What's John Carlos Stanton, the guy from the Yankees? Yeah. Like John Dorsey will trade for Odo Beckham and it'll be a five hundred foot home run. Everyone will be like, Oh my gosh, that was awesome. And then he'll strike out every single midday or every single day two and three pick. And so like, I understand the Caldwell analogy or comparison, yeah. and, like, I agree with it. But at the same time, he's also different from Caldwell in that he only has, like, three first-round picks that have been awesome, and then the rest of his drafts have been not very great. And yeah. he also doesn't have, like, raving reviews from, like, a personnel standpoint. Like, before this, I looked up John Dorsey just to do some research, and our Cleveland Browns affiliate for Sports Illustrated said had an article – eight days ago that says don't hire John Dorsey as your team's general manager. <laughs> so well, when you put it like that, <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, like you said, if you get Eric Bieniemy and Justin Fields, then like it's you kind of have a big three coming this off season. And if you can get two and a half out of those three, I was going to say pretty nice. Then, I mean, I'm like, I don't even think I'm trying it's, to temper expectations because Bieniemy seems like such a perfect coach that like, I'm just kind of assuming that he's going to take yeah, the I think he's gonna go to Chargers job. I assume that Anthony yeah. Lynn gets fired. Yeah, I, I, I think he has to go to Houston just to work with Watson. And I think it's kind of been obvious Watson's been clamoring for him. But uh, that, that's tough to me because, you know, just looking at it from my perspective where I'm on the outside and I kind of judge what the team does without any, you know, emotions or really uh, care for <laughs> what decisions they make. You know, I just analyze them. I think if you can sell a team that you're getting Eric Bieniemy and Justin Fields combo for the next 10 years, but John Dorsey is handling your cap. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure you say no to that because I mean, I agree. We, we just saw Bill O'Brien be have one of the worst runs of any general manager in NFL history. And because they had a superhero at quarterback, they were going to the playoffs every year. Yeah, you're right. I, I think you can't pass that up. And like, just cause nothing is, assume the NFL and nothing's really perfect unless you live in Kansas city. So I think yeah. I also agree that you kind of have to take that and kind of roll with it. Cause that's probably yeah. your best bet. I mean, maybe like Joe Brady and the next best GM paired together would be really nice, but yeah. the enemy is that good. And John Dorsey's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I think. laughs> uh, here's not, not while I said, like I said, Pauline uh, threw that out. Uh, that's nothing I'm I'm reporting whatsoever. I don't have any information on that, but I will say, if I had to like pick a head coach who I think is more likely to land with the Jaguars than the enemy, 
and who I think would who I think is like the slam dunk hire that's at least you know reasonable. I think Brian Dable in Buffalo. I think pairing him with the number two overall pick a quarterback after seeing what he's done with Josh Allen and that offense, I think that is I think that would be a home run. I mean, what do you like just in terms of I think the head coach has to be somebody who can work hand in hand in developing the quarterback because I, I think one of the big mistakes the last regime made was, you know, having a cover three defensive coordinator be the person in charge of developing portals because then we saw Jed Fish, uh, Greg Olson, and Nathaniel Hackett as the most important dudes in his development. And that didn't go well, obviously. And, and I think that, you know, probably played a hand in it. So I think the head coach has to be a quarterback type guy. So I think Dabble is a uh, Dable, however you say his name, is a really interest, interesting option. What about you guys? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm also, I especially agree with the fact that the head coach needs to be kind of a quarterback whisperer or just offensive minded in general, just because, um, like, I'm not, not that Robert Sala or any of the other defensive guys wouldn't be great head coaches. But I think that it would be, like you said, having Nathaniel Hackett as kind of like your head offensive guy yeah. isn't a great circumstance. And then if you hire someone like Joe Brady or a great offensive mind for OC and then they're great, then they're just going to end up leaving for a head coaching job. And yeah. you have to scramble for a new play caller. And so I definitely yeah. think that it makes sense for, to kind of prioritize offense and head definitely. coaching search. And yeah. I'd also, I, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, but I do also agree with Dabble. I think he's awesome. And just the Bills organization in general doesn't yeah. get as much credit as they deserve for kind of building around Allen and doing so just in a super smart way. But yeah, Dabble is fun to watch. He has some of Dabble, Dabble, whatever he's, yeah. we got to look it up or something, but yeah, he has some really creative play calls. And I mean, the is doing this thing with Mahomes where he sends Mahomes in motion. And so that's just out of this world, but Dabble isn't like, okay, how, what are we calling this guy? I just keep. Up. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Dabble until if if the Jaguars hire him, I'll 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 learn a pronunciation of his name. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever gonna need it. <laughs> All right, Dabble it is. <laughs> yeah, Dabble Dabble has a lot of creative plays though. Right be, right behind Bianami, I would say, and so he would be a lot of fun, and I would definitely enjoy that hire. Uh, I'm with you on that, and I I think another big thing is not just what he's done with Allen, but. He, he was with Alabama right before that, you know. So, I mean, he was Saban's, you know, play caller. So, he has a really, you know, impressive resume. Uh, I, I agree with you about, uh, you know, I, I think how the Bills built around Allen is how, you know, like the one of the best examples of how to build around a quarterback. I mean, just comparing how they built around Allen and how the Jets built around Darnold, seeing how they were both drafted the same year is – amazing you know to just see the stark differences and there's a big reason why the bills are you know likely to host a playoff game uh, this year and the jets haven't won a game and it's because of how they've built around the quarterbacks so uh, i'm with you and i agree with you on the defensive coach take i like like obviously i think robert saley is a, a great candidate i think he'd be a perfect coach for a team like the texans who their quarterbacks already developed you know i mean they 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 their quarterback's going to play well no matter what. So for a team like them or for a team like the Falcons who have like Matt Ryan, I think he makes a lot of sense. But for a team like the Jaguars who need to figure out quarterback, I think they need to get a uh, quarterback guy. 100%. Yeah. I think yeah. the Falcons makes a lot of sense for a defensive guy. It'll be interesting to see if they stick with uh, Raheem Morris or whatever his name is because yeah. he's been doing a solid job for them. But I would agree with that. Or like Detroit where, I mean, the last defensive guy didn't really work out very well for him but, no. or for them. But he, here's, here's my, uh, my predictions on the three head coach openings. And then I'll say who I think the Jags will decide on. I don't like speculating too much on the Jags head coach just because Marone is still around. But I'll go ahead and throw out, you know, uh, Dabble for Jags, the enemy for Houston, Saleh for uh, Detroit, and Matt Eberflus for uh, Atlanta, the Colts' defense coordinator. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just I, – I feel like he's definitely getting a job this offseason. I feel like the Falcons are going to be the team that kind of makes that, you know, Joe – like, not that offensive-minded type hire. This is pure speculation, but I think the Falcons stick with Morris for one year – one more year, probably because, like, the Matt Ryan situation where, like, Ryan's good, but he's also on a big contract and it might be time for them to start over. So I could see them kind of doing a bridge year next year, kind of for similar sure. to what the Jags did this year and see like 
should we kind of go all in or tear it all apart and kind of have more stick around for that part of it? But other than that, I I agree with all those other takes. I feel like the Falcons have asked that question for like four years. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad for like, like Falcons, like supporters just because like, They've been walking in place, you know, since that Super Bowl. Basically, it's it, right. they're, they're just a weird franchise. But yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, and I I, I think it's going to be interesting because I I think a couple other jobs are obviously going to open. If I was Chicago, I'd be looking for a new coach. But I've never been a big Matt Nagy guy. Uh, his coach of the year is the most fraudulent award handed out in NFL history. I will never get over him winning coach of the year in a year where their offense was like in the twenties and pretty much every stat possible and then they had the best defense in the nfl <laughs> it's like, yeah can, can somebody like like highlight like erase <laughs> his name and put vic fangio's on that go ahead guys. i think vic fangio did win like assistant of the year but i could be wrong but also ryan pace also won general manager of the year so they just swept the award show who 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 is the old uh colts general manager that everybody hated that drafted luck Grigson, yeah, Ryan Grigson. He he won Executive of the Year too. So I, I think he won it the year they picked Luck. <laughs> I'm just like, all right. <laughs> Congrats for having the first football. Yeah, pick. right. Like, okay, yeah, no. So that's uh, I'm fascinated to see what the Jaguars do over these next few weeks. But Gus, you made a point to say something you said was all speculation. I want to remind everybody that unless I say otherwise, that I'm reporting it. That everything on this show. Is speculation, you know. Just, just wanna, just wanna make that clear. But uh, I, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see what they do over these next few months, Gus, because I think they have so many directions. And you know, like we've talked before on the show, I think these next few decisions are the most important of Sean Conn's tenure. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like we've said, it's a head coach, a general manager, and a quarterback is all gonna be paired together for the next three, four, five years. And so it's either gonna be if they hit on them longer. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, hopefully. You've got to temper expectations a little bit, John. It's the Jags we're talking about here, all right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I just – I think just, like, the enormity of the decisions they have before them, I'm not sure if it's been properly kind of felt or articulated yet. But I, I, I'd say this is the biggest offseason for the Jaguars that I can remember, and that even includes the offseason after 2017 where – you know, they were trying to gear up to make a run at the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, it's the biggest offseason, like, in terms of, like, the league, For honestly. Yeah. Like, this will kind of impact the entire AFC South. So, sure. like, Titans and Texans and Colts fans are going to be impacted by this, too. And so, Definitely. it's either stay at the bottom or maybe rise a little bit to the top just based on one offseason. It's pretty insane for us and the rest of the league. Yeah, Definitely. All right, well, the, the watch Jags. out, NFL. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, Jags will next, of course, play the Titans on Sunday. Uh, don't uh, at this point, I just think it's more interesting to talk about the future of the team than it is to talk about the game that they're set to play coming up on Sunday. So we'll we'll go ahead and obviously cover the game some uh, next week. But Gus, do you have a prediction for Sunday? I'm going to go Titans, thirty-eight Jaguars ten. I think the Titans are going to be extremely upset about that Cleveland loss and that they're just going to take it out on Mike Glennon and the Jaguars in four quarters. Yeah, I think the Jags are going to do – like, they've played so much one high and three linebacker sets um, this season and, like, uh, to stop the run. And I think when they played the Titans earlier this year, if I remember correctly, the stat line was twenty-four or 25 carries and 84 rushing yards for Henry. But then Tannehill threw four touchdowns on, like, 26 dropbacks. And so I honestly think it'll be pretty similar where the Jaguars try to contain Henry and put an emphasis on stopping him. And then Ryan Tannehill and Corey Davis and AJ Brown and Johnny Smith are just going to kind of run crazy considering the lacking secondary depth of the Jaguars have. So I'll go 31 to 20, but my hot take is that I don't know how hot this is, but Derrick Henry has had seven hundred yard rushing games in 12 games this season. So I'm going to say that the Jags keep them under 100 this game is my hot take, even though I think they're still going to put up easily 20 and probably 30. There's a discussion out there where we need to look at – I've looked at them. I'm saying we as an in, in NFL society as a whole need to look <laughs> at Derrick Henry's number against the Jaguars and accept that he's had two really good games on primetime, but otherwise – 
his numbers, career numbers against the Jaguars, it, it's not as extreme as everybody makes it out to be. And I thought they did a good job against them last time. And, I mean, they've, they've been better at stopping the run this year than uh, last year. So, I, I'd expect for that to continue. I, I guess my hot take is that, oh, man, it, it's tough to pick one this week. My hot take is that, man. It, I'm just like, what What even hot takes are there, you know, left? I'm going to change set? mine while you're thinking of yours. I don't, okay. think, I don't think under 100 yards is hot enough for me. I'm going to do a season-low rushing yards. Okay, I was going to say, normally you go with, you know, breaking the NFL record in single-game sacks. So. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be okay. not just hot, but spicy. So, <laughs> I, if I remember his season-low is 60. I think he had 60 last week against the Browns. So, my – my hot take, hot, hot take, is that he has 59 rushing yards or less this week, yet the Titans still dominate. Okay. My hot take is if you're just talking terms of, you know, performance, I'm not sure DeWan Smoot shouldn't be one of the second or third guys the Jaguars tried to extend this offseason because I feel like, him being in a contract year has not been talked about all this year just because, you know, they've been kind of a bland team and a bland defensive unit. But I think if you can get him a reasonable deal for, you know, like a guy who plays 55 to 60% of snaps, I think you need to lock him up quickly. That's my, that's my hot take. My hot take is sign quickly a guy who has four and a half sacks this season because I do think he's better than the four and a half sacks he has. Right. He's had two, like, monster games, too, against the Vikings, and then he had one against the Texans, I think, earlier. It, it, it's been interesting to watch him because genuinely his first two years in the NFL, he, he just wasn't, you know, a productive player. You know, they played him a lot as a rookie, but he didn't really do anything. And then his second year, it seemed like he was inactive half the year. So he's really come on the last few years. And I just – I think they're at a point right now where they're about to have so much cap. Why are you going to let any talented players leave? You know what I mean? Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Uh, well, uh, no, no other parting hot takes of mine this time. Uh, you can follow me at underscore John underscore Shipley, and you can follow the site at Jaguar Report, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. Gus, get, tell them where to find you. I'm at Gus underscore Logue on the Bird app. That's how we're closing this show. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening again. Uh, appreciate it as always, and we will be back next week.